0: Hello and welcome to Off Leash. I'm Vivian Fairbanks, senior editor.
1: And I'm Jonah Brunet, copy editor, and this week's guest host.
0: This week we'll be talking about death namely the death of journalism. That's kind of what everyone's been talking about lately. There have been so many layoffs and closures in the past couple of months that it's hard not to get a little scared.
1: So recently, Thunder Bay Electronics has announced pretty desperately to the CRTC that its TV station in Northern Ontario is surviving only thanks to a pair of life insurance policies it took out on both its owners and general manager. If it goes under, that leaves a chunk of Ontario larger than some countries unserved by broadcast news. Rogers has announced 200 job cuts across its various media branches, made even scarier by the fact that they've neglected to say who, where, or exactly when they would happen. And in print, the Nanaimo Daily News announced toward the end of January that it was shutting down after 141 years.
0: Just last week, the Guelph Mercury printed its last issue. That was one of the oldest newspapers in Canada. And before that, Postmedia cut 90 jobs and consolidated newsrooms across the country, which I think kind of psyched us all out. A Toronto Star columnist just called Postmedia the cancer on journalism. And people are complaining to the Competition Bureau and asking the Liberal government to help support democracy in the form of printed newspapers. There's also the strike at the Chronicle Herald in Halifax, where problems have been brewing since last year. Journalists are on strike, and the newsroom has hired freelancers on short-term contracts. It's printing the newspaper without bylines.
1: So, from all this, it seems that a lot of us are losing hope, or at least becoming a bit more pessimistic. A lot of people are talking about the death of local news as if it's the death of democracy.
0: After the post-media layoffs, one guy tweeted, Don't go to journalism school. Don't let your friends go to journalism school. Don't let your kids go to journalism school.
1: Today, we'll be talking to some students who are trying hard not to lose hope. They've all been working on stories for the RRJ that relate to job cuts in different areas of journalism, such as photography, broadcast, and beat reporting.
0: You all know Alison Baker. She's our multimedia editor, and she's also a regular host for Off Leash. She's been working on a story about photojournalism. Hello.
1: And Laura Hensley is also joining us. She's the department's editor at the RRJ. And you might also recognize her voice from our last episode on Aboriginal journalism. She's just finished a feature about beat reporting. Hi. (laughs) And we'll also be talking about my own story, which was focused on broadcast journalism.
0: We're not going to be going into too much details about the story because that's going to be for the print issue of the R. J., which is out in March. So that's when you'll get all the dirty details. But for now, as these reporters are all experts in their respective fields, we're here to foster a little conversation about job cuts and the life expectancy of Canadian journalism. So first, let's talk about broadcast journalism. We have Jonah here, who's done months of research on the subjects. Um, do you want to tell us some very vague things about your story?
1: Yeah. So my story, in like a really broad, vague sense, is about the death of TV news. Um, so the problem we have in the majority of broadcast newsrooms is that journalists are being managed by business people who are increasingly strapped for cash, as fewer and fewer people actually watch television. And broadcast journalism, as you may know, isn't exactly a moneymaker.
0: A lot of that is because people aren't really watching TV as much as they used to. Um, Do you watch TV news, Jonah?
1: Um, No, I don't. And I guess that's part of the problem. I'm mean, i a proud member of what you may call the Netflix generation. And even the elements of traditional TV that once generated ad revenue, which um, sadly for many Canadian stations was mainly reruns of American programs, no longer draw a crowd when they can be accessed so easily for free online.
0: Yeah, I definitely watch Netflix many times in the middle of the <laughs> night whereas I don't think I ever watch broadcast TV at 2 a.m. <laughs>
2: True. True. No. No. I can't say I do. Like growing up I definitely did because I only had 5 channels and like this <laughs> was all that was on sometimes, but totally definitely not anymore.
3: No, I don't even own a TV. So, True. <laughs> you know, unless I'm streaming something online, I don't even have the chance to watch it. So that's why the Netflix generation is so easy. <laughs>
0: I hate being called that, though, but I guess it's like begrudgingly true. It
1: could be worse. It could be the chill generation.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So is that why you were interested in researching broadcast news?
1: Um, Yeah. Well, i had been hearing for years that annoying thing about the death of print, as I'm sure we all have. Um, But more recently, I've been hearing a lot about TV stations closing down. And it just seemed interesting to me that people have been lamenting the death of print for so long uh, as it continues to survive whereas the death of broadcast is coming on much faster and also seems to be much less talked about.
0: Yeah, so there's like a lot of stuff happening right now that kind of relates to the death of broadcast, right? Like there's the CRTC hearings that are going on right now. Do you guys know anything about those? No? <laughs> little recap, it's like the CRTC that's holding hearings um, until the day that this podcast comes out. And um, they're just asking for different like advice on how to do on how to save local news and like what they could do to regulate it. And a lot of people are asking them to like start funds and like start supporting local TV because it seems right now like everything's dying. <laughs> and like when local TV dies, like who who's the first to go? Like when a TV station shuts down, is it the reporters who leave or is it the producers or the technicians?
1: Yeah, so original reporting is typically the first to go. Um, It's, I mean, the least visible and the most expensive part of the operation. So in the eyes of the managers who aren't journalists, um, it's the most expendable. And this is probably most troubling because from a journalistic standpoint, original reporting is like the meat of the sandwich. There's not really much of a point in having a newscast without it.
0: So in original reporting, does that mean, like, the reporters who are just working on the sidelines to Mm -hmm. Yeah, so when you
1: watch a newscast, it'll start with, like, the anchors in the studio, and then they'll cut to kind of the man on the street, the reporter, um, and those are the people who are first to go.
0: So no more streeters, basically. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's horrifying. Mm -hmm. (laughs)
1: Um, And then what's left behind, as all these newscasts are being cut across the country, are more kind of magazine-style current affairs talk shows. So basically, this is where you have a host or two discussing the news of the week in sort of a shallow roundup type way, inviting in guest experts, MPPs, talking heads, and that sort of thing.
0: So kind of what you're saying is like when they have stuff like that, it makes it seem really serious. But secretly, it's they're hiding the fact that they actually didn't have enough money to go do their own reporting on the news. So they're just doing like the analysis.
1: Mm-hmm. And if you think about it, I mean, it takes time to set up the guests and get them to come in. By the time they actually air, they're talking about things that happened last week. And so it's not as current, and it's it's not really news at that point.
0: How are the communities that are like losing out on that type of news reacting? Is there any kind of response?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. I mean, the communities most often become involved when the cuts start affecting the people that they've connected with, the anchors, the kind of on-air people. One of the fired anchors from CTV actually has a petition calling for her to be reinstated. That's Carol Ann Meehan. Um, which is, you know, not really how the industry works, but more power to them. Another anchor who I actually spoke with for my feature said that whenever he kind of runs run into a former viewer on the street, they're, they're confused and they don't really know what happened. Um, companies aren't exactly forthcoming about the cuts. Um, there's r- rarely sort of a farewell broadcast. Um, it just kind of stops. And that's really jarring to a lot of people who have gotten used to this programming. But yeah, the the person I talked to specifically for my feature um, was saying that he wished that they had at least let them tape something and then they could have approved it and it could have aired and just been like a kind of sort of goodbye, like thanks for like the decades of support.
0: But, mm-hmm. Get like a little bit of closure. Mm-hmm. I, I was reading this piece where like this guy from post media was also complaining about how they don't allow any like farewell columns and so there are so many columnists who disappeared who were like so upset that they just can't actually express themselves. So. How are the anchors reacting? Like are they going out and like thanking people for their petition or like trying to get their jobs back or doing things on their own?
1: Yeah, definitely. And I I mean, um, as much as it's sort of the cause of all these broadcast woes, the internet and sort of online forums are actually um, providing sort of a a voice to the silenced anchors. Um, I mean, there was the petition uh, that I mentioned earlier that's been kind of supported a lot through social media. Um, And also the uh, laid off hosts of the CHCH TV and Hamilton have actually taken their show that they used to do on TV and just moved it online. Um, So as much as I'm sure they don't like that it's happening, a lot of them are able to kind of go with the flow and adapt.
0: segue into Allison's story which is all about photojournalism. Um, I think just as much depression in the photojournalism industry except no one can see it because there's no like separate outlet right the they're Ben's all photos. they're dispersed everywhere
2: yeah yeah <laughs> no I think it's like a depressing time in the journalism industry as a whole really um, broadcast print photo anywhere you look <laughs>
0: <laughs> it's just sadness. It's
2: just really sad. It is. Um, yeah, so my story for uh, the 2016 issue of the review is um, essentially just about the state of photojournalism uh, today, like in Canada specifically, obviously, um, and with all the newsroom cuts, kind of where it's headed and like what new ways it's headed possibly, and also the impact on newspapers themselves when they cut these photo
0: photographers. Um, yeah. So like, a little bit of background. What is the role of the photojournalist in Canadian newsrooms today? Like don't give away your article, but like when you're talking about photojournalists, photojournalist, are these people who like spend 8 hours a day taking photos? Are they like in the in different newsrooms or are they all freelancing like who am I if I'm a Canadian photojournalist?
2: <laughs> well, I think traditionally the Canadian photojournalist was the staff photographer. They were the person that went along with the reporters to take the photos. I think that's kind of um obviously what, or that's kind of what people imagine when they think photojournalists. Yeah, but today, like photojournalism and photojournalists don't exist, it's a multimedia journalist, that's what they are, Um, and it's kind of been a trend that has been going on for a while. I mean, when um, people started doing video, uh, like when video became more transferable or transportable, I guess is the better word to use, um, like in the early 90s, that was like a big deal where reporters or sorry photojournalists had to like take video as well as take photos Mm -hmm. but now they're taking audio they're taking video they're tweeting out pictures while they're taking professional pictures, they're doing all these different things, and the photojournalist that we think of traditionally just doesn't exist. It's a a multimedia journalist. The Chicago Sun-Times, when they had their mass um, overhaul of their photography department last year, they actually rehired four of their photojournalists under the title of multimedia journalist.
0: So your interest in the story kind of comes from the fact that you're a photojournalist, right? Or that's kind of what you want to...
2: Yeah, that's like what I'm interested in. Um, yeah, I, I, I love photography, and I, I think it's a super powerful storytelling tool, which is what we are as journalists. We're essentially storytellers, and um, yeah, I guess you could call me an aspiring photojournalist.
0: <laughs> so then what what's the significance of transferring from photography to multimedia? Like, is are we losing out on anything, or are we actually just expanding our abilities? Uh, that's a
2: really tricky question. It because when you're when you're doing one th- more than one thing at one time you're obviously going to miss out on one aspect so let's say if i have to write and also take pictures one of them is going to lose a little bit you know what i mean like you can't report super well and also take photos really well at the same time, because while you're taking those photos, you're missing that moment that you're missing that quote, you're missing whatever, or while you're reporting, you're missing that moment to Mm -hmm. take the photo. Um, But at the same time, I feel like the multimedia aspect does give a different dimension to the story um, that wasn't necessarily there when it was just a print-photo kind of um, relationship.
0: So ideally, we would just have, like... Five people in one story, one person would write, one is just photos, one is like video, the other one's, I don't know, crazy stuff.
2: Yeah, um, in a perfect world, definitely, there would be one person for every job, but... Well, now that they're all fired, maybe they can do it together. Oh my goodness, that would be (laughs) amazing.
1: Um, So, as an aspiring photojournalist, I mean, how does all this news kind of affect you personally? Like, has it made you change your plan at all?
2: No... Not really. Actually, I feel um, I I feel like I'm lucky having. This sounds so lame, but having grown up in the Netflix generation, I guess. Having grown no, up, we're really
1: milking that term.
2: Yeah, <laughs> milking it. But having grown up um, exposed and grown up with the technology, and kind of almost evolved with the, the technology that we use today, I've b- been able to learn and kind of become comfortable with a lot of different aspects. Where I think older photojournalists um, aren't necessarily as comfortable with or have a harder time transitioning, let's say, to doing audio or video. And mm. um, and I've always had an interest in those things.
1: So I guess you could say that you're an aspiring multimedia journalist more so. I
2: guess so. Um especially you cringe?
1: <laughs> yeah, a little bit. A
2: little bit. But I guess that's the landscape today, right? And journalism is all about adapting. And I think... If we don't adapt, we die.
0: (laughs) But if we're dying anyways, do we need to adapt? It's a tough question. (laughs) Philosophical.
1: Let's open this one up to the... (laughs) (laughs) (laughs)
0: Because I would argue, I don't know, if you really want to be a photojournalist, you could adapt to be like all the other multimedia journalists who are getting fired anyways. Mm -hmm. Or actually, maybe kind of like being that, I don't want to say rebel, but like, Being the one person who's like, no, you know what? I don't want to be a multimedia journalist because I'm not going to find a job anyways. You might kind of have like the resilience that everybody's looking for. I don't know.
2: And I feel like that's a big part of my story, I think, is the different ways that uh, laid off photojournalists or freelance photojournalists um, are creating their work. And I think um, that's kind of part of that where it is rebellious now not to be a multimedia journalist, not mm-hmm. to have all those different aspects in your story, or only two, you know what I mean? Um, and I think that's what makes some photojournalists stand
0: out from the others, for sure. So one of the things that makes the story of like photojournalism dying different than say the story of broadcast journalism dying is that it's so behind the scenes and when, when newsrooms are like, shrunk in part of the people who were fired are photojournalists, you don't really hear that side of the story. But what does it mean when newsrooms don't have photographers anymore? Like, what does it mean for, like, the actual production of an entire newspaper or, like, an entire magazine or site mm-hmm. or whatever whatever the newsroom is?
2: I think, well, the obvious answer would be it's a loss of quality, for sure. In the images themselves, obviously, but also in the understanding of an article As well because a photo totally adds an extra dimension to the words on a page that like words it's the old cliche of a picture is a thousand words and we are such a visual culture that not having images or not having quality images that depict or just add another layer to your story it really hinders the understanding that your readers will have about what you're writing about Um, I feel like you can write Uh, One of my sources in my story um, mentioned, like, you can write about the refugee crisis, let's say, in Syria. You can write about how many people there are, but you can't imagine that, really. But if you have a photo or even a a video or a multimedia aspect or something that visually shows that, it just adds that much... That, that other layer that that story needs for you to really understand how huge of an issue this is. Mm-hmm. And I think that is definitely what's lost on top of just quality itself in terms of resolution, in terms of pixels, the technical aspect, but also it's the story. Like it, the story loses something.
1: All right. Um, so, Laura, from what I understand, your story deals more with the other side of job loss. So, what all these cuts mean in the newsroom to people who are left behind? Um, could you talk a little bit about how cuts affect those who aren't losing their jobs?
3: Well, my future story for this uh, issue of the R.J. is looking at, uh, in particular, young journalists who are sort of starting out and... How they're expected to kind of work general assignment while also unofficially being on a beat. So, because there's so many job cuts and newsrooms are shrinking, um, people are expected to do a lot more. And this, you know, relates to what Allie said in terms of taking photos and tweeting and writing and everything. So, um, I think a shrinking newsroom means that reporters are expected to essentially do. Uh, many more things than perhaps they were uh, in the past. but this also is uh, sort of exciting, which is another aspect of my story because um, it's a new time for people uh, in newsrooms, especially young reporters who are kind of figuring out maybe where they want to get in, what they want to get into.
1: Definitely. And I mean, is that you? Like, did the story kind of come from a personal place?
3: Well, I do want to get a job, so that is me. Um, but yeah, no, I would love to work at a, I, I, you know, I like newsprint and I want to work at a newspaper, so I definitely, that's why I was interested. But also, too, because I think, you know, we're hearing so many negative things and we see so many negative things in the news about the, uh, you know, loss of jobs and how bleak the industry is. But um, I was trying to figure out through my feature is like, okay, well, what does this actually mean as someone who's entering? you know the journalism field. So um, I think that even though it is scary it's actually an exciting time for us because as young reporters we're starting out and we'll work for less money which is good (laughs) news when there is no money but also it means that we're growing up with technology so we are able to do these things that other people maybe aren't. Um, So that's kind of how I got interested in this subject through my own personal interest.
1: Definitely and um, so The kind of conclusion of your story, is that what you expected it to be at the outset or did things kind of change?
3: Well, I don't really know if there's necessarily like, you know, a conclusion in the sense that like it's happy or sad. But I think that there's instead of focusing on the negative, which is, you know, there's no money, people aren't paying, we don't have to, I think we should look at the positive. Yes, this is a hard time for people in the industry, but I think it's also because we haven't necessarily figured out a model that works right now, right? So we're at a transitional time. So I think in a few years, hopefully, um, we'll figure out a better solution to this problem. And there's always going to be a need for journalism, but I think that the younger generation of reporters can hopefully help lead that way and we can help develop new methods and means of uh, generating revenue. And so I think it's just a kind of bump in the road. So I guess it is more of an optimistic note to end my
0: That's so good to hear.
3: (laughs) I mean, this is just my own personal insight. I can't guarantee Mm -hmm. anything. But I think, like, you know, everything's cyclical. Like, you know, there's always demands and there's this, like, economic crisis. And we, we go through these phases in life. So I think we're just in a bad time right now. But I don't think that, you know. None of us are going to get jobs.
0: When I don't have a job in five years, I'm going to call you personally <laughs> and, Just and like, like, play oh, this was. recording. Yeah, this will... me
3: being super optimistic.
0: <laughs> so we'll see. Well, so I think the story is really interesting, but I guess I would love to hear the story of one person that you spoke to or like maybe an archetypal person that you spoke to who could kind of kind of impersonate the experience of the young journalist who's stuck in, like, these shrinking newsrooms and is kind of making, inching his or her way through everything and, like, avoiding all the bullets and still still working in a newsroom.
3: Yeah, well, I think the interesting thing is, is that you have... I mean, maybe it's not interesting, maybe it's always been the case, but you have to make yourself super valuable so a newsroom doesn't want to get rid of you. So young people who are able... So one of my characters... Um, You know, I was shadowing her, and she was uh, basically (laughs) expected to tweet, like, write, take some video, then in the afternoon. Like, it was just so much stuff going on. But it was also really exciting watching her because she had developed a skill set that was really important today Mm -hmm. to be uh, a young, valuable reporter. So even though uh, the newspaper that she works at still has had recent cuts, She uh, is still there, and I think that's a really encouraging thing, especially as a young reporter. And um, the the young people in the newsrooms are the ones that I think are able to sort of hold on a little bit sometimes because, well, A, we're paid less, but also, too, we have an ability because we're forced to do all these things. (laughs) Um, And then through that, too, you can kind of work GA for so long that you sort of figure out what you're interested in, and you can kind of develop a beat, and then perhaps further on in your career when hopefully all this is a little bit more smooth, you can work on a beat if that's what you want to do over your column. So it's it's a foundational period that I think young reporters are Mm -hmm. right
0: now. Do you ever, I don't know about you, like, I get questions from people who are not in the journalism industry who kind of say things along the lines of, like, why would you do this to yourself? This is stupid, like, why would you enter this industry right now? You're not going to get a job. Like... (laughs) why are you doing this to yourself, Laura? What are... I don't
3: know. It's a good question. <laughs> because this is what I like to do. And my, my mom always, like, tells me this story. When she started out being a teacher, like, you know, how many years ago, there was no teaching jobs. But she applied to, like, So many school boards, and she eventually got a job, like, in the middle of nowhere. And then from there, she got her foot in the door, and she worked her way up, and Mm -hmm. then she had a great career. And it's the same sort of thing now. It's like, why am I doing this? Well, I want to. So if I keep trying and trying and trying, someone will eventually Mm -hmm. take me. And then once I get my foot in the door, I'm not worried, you know? I think if you're passionate about something, and you really, like, I think we all are with journalism, we love telling stories, we think it's important, journalism is essential to democracy, and it's, like, such a vital you know, aspect of society that if we just give up because it's hard right now, I think we're doing a disservice to ourselves. So we have to, you know, fight through the storm. We will prevail. Yeah. We have to keep working (laughs) at it. So Yeah. That's a really good note, I think, to, like,
0: end on or to begin to end on. (laughs) Because, like, our general conclusion is that broadcast sucks and newspapers suck right now and, like, photojournalists are, like, crumbling away. But, like, everything will be okay and Netflix generation will prevail <laughs> for the
2: naive, hopeful yeah. young journalists. Yeah.
1: You well, and, I mean, going back to the the people who are left having to do everything, you could say that I guess bad times make good journalists, right? That's a really good point. The people who are way, left yeah. have to hold up like entire newspapers on mm-hmm. their shoulders.
3: True. Yeah, and you're just you know developing such an invaluable skill set that you're. Um, becoming so able to keep afloat in hard mm-hmm. times, that you're, you're right. You're becoming a, you know, better journalist. I think.
0: And I think you can tell that like people actually do care about the stuff. Like there is an audience that like while it may not actually pay for the product, is still asking for the product. And with all these job cuts, like I could hear people complaining, like why are we talking about these job cuts when there are job cuts in other industries all the time? And like mm-hmm. we're not writing about those, we're not complaining about those. But I think it's because journalism provides a service that like other jobs just don't in the same way like in the public sphere and Mm -hmm. I mean for example the Chronicle Herald like the reporters are on strike they started their own news site and they're still reporting every day on the same stories for free and then people are still going and reading those in the same way because they want the information um so that's kind of a hint that like okay maybe we won't ever (laughs) we won't be paid for it (laughs) for the next couple years but like people are going to they're going to miss it if it ever leaves. I don't think it's ever going to happen that, like, we not no. have journalism. Sure. You mm-hmm.
3: can never have, you, you know, you'll never have a time where there's no journalism. I think it just comes down to figuring out a way to make mm-hmm. money again. But I think that will be, hopefully, in the near future. Like, you know, you think about the different models, and it just needs to be figured out, so.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, so what do you guys think journalism in Canada will look like in, say, five years? Even earlier, maybe. Things have been moving pretty quickly. Mm.
2: I feel like it's just going to be, like Laura just mentioned, like a whole different business model, something completely, I I don't know if it's just going to be a different way of delivering the news or a different way of I producing somehow the news, but I don't think the news is never, wow, sorry, I don't think there won't be journalism, you mm-hmm. know, it'll just be like exactly what Laura said in a different way. Mm-hmm.
1: And I think online, right? The internet yeah. is kind of like swallowing everything whole, like medium by medium it seems yeah. throughout journalism. So.
0: I think that's such a scary thing though because when we think of online, like I really hope that there's a way that we're gonna be able to differentiate things because it sucks that, okay, everything is losing to online but then online it's like this huge mess of of like nothing. and. That's the beauty of like having newspapers and broadcasts and everything is like it is so distinctly separate. Um, So like I'm hoping, I don't know, maybe there's a way that we'll have figured out to like really have different platforms that don't just like conglomerate into this huge online mess. But Mm -hmm. do you
2: really think that, I don't think print will ever not be a thing. I think it'll be less frequent possibly Mm -hmm. Mm and again different ways of producing it possibly but I also don't think that there will never be a tangible product. And that's maybe just me being a hopeful, like, prospective mm-hmm. m- magazine- Nostalgic person, <laughs> but- Well, uh, I'm pretty I biased don't...
0: towards the Ryerson Review of Journalism, well, I mean, which um, mm-hmm. I is gonna stay gonna in print forever. 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 <laughs> <laughs> hold it in my hand and like, handle yeah.
1: it like a baby. Oh yeah. <laughs> oh,
0: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, um, I think this is a conclusion that we have rehearsed, because Jonah and I thought that it was really cool. the conclusion is that the future is cool and we're cool and we are the future. So everything will be be okay. okay. (laughs) Mm
1: -hmm. That's a great conclusion. (laughs) Everything will be okay. That's like the (laughs) tag. Everything
0: will be okay. So that was Off Leash signing off for today. Our next episode will be out on the 17th and it'll be our post-Valentine's Day production. So get ready for a little... A little lovin'. A little lovin'. lovin'. A little lovin'. Um, Until then, enjoy the podcast. Please don't get fired, and everything will be okay. Everything will be be okay. Everything will be okay.